Let me show you something. For my, um, for my 40th birthday, which was a long while ago, I received the Sydney Morning Herald. Has anyone got a paper from the day they were born? Wasn't that a cool present? So I, I have to tell you the date, I suppose. It was the 18th of November, 1959. Now, I don't take it out of the paper too often. And the, as you can see, it's quite brown. And the more you turn it, the more it rips. That's how I feel sometimes. Um, but it's a really cool, uh, and especially looking in it, you know, like I can read about adverts on FC Holdens. Does it, the only blokes might know that. That was the car of 1959. That was out. And, you know, the adverts, I think, are the funny parts. But there's a few things in it, particularly one thing that I, wanna, I really want to speak about. Now, you've probably all done your maths. Math? I don't know whatever way you say it. Um, it makes me 57 years old. But 18th of November 1959 is only 43 days before the end of the 50s. Is anyone else here born in the 50s? Okay, so I don't feel as bad. There's about six. Okay, anyone born in 59? So I'm the only one. Oh, Rhonda, I didn't know we were the same age. There you go. Okay. It puts me pretty close to the end of the baby, baby boomer generation. It depends what you read, but 60, they say, is the end of the baby boomers, or 64. depends on what um, uh, government organisation you're reading about. But what captured my attention was an article on page four. Um, and it's written by a man named Harold Hastings Deering. Oh, I heard one person might know who... Okay, thanks, Ross. I'm glad you do. I, I would expect that, though. <laughs> Harold Hastings Deering. Let me tell you a bit about him. He was born on the 22nd of August, August 1896 uh, at Ashfield. And at 21, he entered the British Army. And then he transferred to the Royal Air Force, flying for England and France during the war. In fact, he was in the same squadron as Sir Charles Kingsford Smith. Now, maybe that's a name you might know. So he, he flew with um, Kingsford Smith. Now, after the war, he returned to Sydney and he started the Hastings Deering Company. And that was in 1935. And, and this man had great vision. I've been doing a bit of reading about him because... I was interested with this article. He had great vision for Australia and he saw that the country was coming of age. And because it was coming of age, it needed heavy earth moving equipment. Now, some of you have just gone boring. But for some blokes, you know when you grow up with your Tonka toys, you know the Tonka trucks? Well, these are big boys' toys, okay? We're talking about things like this. Okay, can you see the picture in the middle with the bloke standing at the wheels? Now, that's the kind of stuff. You might know this as Caterpillar. If you've ever seen Caterpillar um, is the company, well, Hastings Deering, Harold, he's the one that started the company. He imported this equipment into the country um, because he saw that Australia needed to move forward. Uh, the the, the um, hydro scheme. He needed to get all the equipment in so that they could build the electricity, get the electricity up and running, going through the Snowy River. Uh, the dams that were built all around the outskirts of uh, Sydney needed heavy earth-moving equipment. And um, he's the one that brought it in. Bulldozers, backhoes, compactors, excavators, trucks, pile drivers. 
big boy toys. And uh, I loved going through the photos when I was looking this up. Um, and so this guy resonated with me. And um, I saw him as a real entrepreneur. And when you read his bio, for a man born in 1896 and living in the early 50s, he's quite ahead of himself, I reckon, which is one of the reasons why our country is today, because there were people who saw that which was beyond them, that which was coming up, and they could vision it now and move into bringing about all that was needed to get the present into the future. And this is what Hastings Deering did. Now, he was an entrepreneur, but he also had a column in the Herald. And uh, it was known as Faith in the Future. In fact, I've got it here. It's uh, only small. It's on page four of the newspaper. I've photocopied it, and I have this actually framed in my office because it means so much to me. And I'd just like to read you something about it. Because Harold saw more about the future and the generations to come than just earth-moving equipment. And the, the Herald, the Sydney Morning Herald, thought it important enough to let him write about these things in their little column. So let me read you something that's taken from the 18th of November, 1959. It's only short, but I get pretty excited about this because, in a way, it's about me. Okay? So let me read it to you. The rate of Australia's progress has received a good deal of attention lately. The record certainly is encouraging, he writes. Productivity, investment-wise, or whichever way we care to look at it. Now, while the picture has its lights and its shadows, I think it can be agreed that altogether it is good. In assessing our advancement, however, I believe we should start by getting our values right. And that, to me, means the measurement of our growth in vital human terms. So it's not about where he was progressing as an entrepreneur in bringing all this equipment in. It was about humans. He goes on to say that records have been excelled in many fields of production in the, uh, in the latest June year, for instance, is of less ultimate importance to Australia's future than the fact that 222,500 children were born in this country in 1958. That's why it's called the baby boomer years. Now, last year we had about 300,000. So we're getting back up to having children born again like the baby boomer period. A lot more kids are coming about. And that's one of the things we as a church have to be noting, that there's going to be a lot more children in our future. But anyway, that was 1958. He says, it was the highest yearly figure ever registered and this was the 10th consecutive year in which the number of births has increased. Wow. There are several ways of viewing this stream, which is running in constant refreshment of the national life. One impersonal but factual side to it is that it will be going to, um, it will be going to augment our reserves of youth power. Because he could see the future and go, we need youth to turn Australia into how great it can be. He was a very forward-thinking man. He says this, This is to be heartily welcomed, 
with all it implies in expansion of the economy. But granted, every material benefit that the increase in our child population will confer, there is this infinitely higher consideration of what it means to be supplementing of our moral and spiritual forces for the larger tasks ahead. So he's saying, you know, it's cool that we have all these children, but we've got to make sure that both morally and spiritually, these ones are coming on board. He says, to the marshalling of that intangible strength, rather than to statistical tables, we can look for a true reflection of our progress as a people. And then he says this, the quality of this nation through the changed and changing years will be the quality that is imparted in training to the 600 children who will be born in Australia this very day. That's me. Did you hear what I read? There it is there. The quality of this nation through the change and changing years will be the quality that is imparted in training to the 600 children who will be born in Australia this very year. I'm one of those 600. And when I read that, I went... Oh, that's really cool. I've never been mentioned in a newspaper before. I get a word. Someone is talking about me. But you know what? It's a lot more than just, I'm one of the 600. You see, why am I telling you this? Well, apart from some, sharing something I think is really cool, Harold Hastings saw that the coming generations were the future for this country. Now, he had a daughter, but she died very young. So he was childless. But he said that even though these generations would bring expansion of the economy and the material benefit to our land, what was infinitely higher in consideration was our supplementing of our moral and spiritual forces for the task ahead. The supplementing of our moral and spiritual forces for the task ahead. He was speaking about the generations that would follow him. And in some way, you and I are a consequence of this man. I mean, we've all been touched at some level through what he has done by bringing into the country those machines. If your house that you lived in was ever had a backhoe in the backyard putting down the foundations, it's from his. More than likely, Hastings Deering. But that's not the point he's saying. What's more important is the moral and spiritual character that we impart into the children that are going to come after us. Now, I don't know if this man was a Christian. I, I haven't read any, about that, uh, any of that from him. But if we who are adults today don't allow the coming generations to grow appropriately, if we don't sow correctly into the children of today, I think we're doing a disservice to them. A real disservice. And that's the message of Jesus, isn't it? And that's what we're looking at through our theme so far this year. I want to show you the verses, and you've seen it many times, and it sits over there on the wall, in fact. It's John 17, 20 to 21. Jesus says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, this is today's message. It's about generations. 
And that's what we're going to be looking at. And I'm going to talk about generations in the light of people power because that's far more important. But you can't have people power unless you support that with the money that goes behind it to release the people that we have to bring about and raise up the generations. So we're going to be talking about this as well, the, the, the offering sheet. And I just want to touch on that, of what that might look like as well, okay? Let's have a look at this prayer again, though. You see, I, I think there's something about this prayer. There's a lot of pronouns in it, and you get a bit lost. So I thought what we could do is I'd break this down, and we'll try and get a grip on what Jesus is saying. So follow it this way. It might help you. Well, help me, so maybe it'll help you. My, that's Jesus' prayer, is not for them, that's the disciples, alone. I, being Jesus, pray also for the generations to come. Those. I pray for those. That's the generations to come. Who will believe in me, Jesus, through their, that's being the disciples' message. That all of them, the them being the generations to come, may be one. Father, just as you, that's the Father, are in me, that's Jesus, and I, that's Jesus, am in you, Father, may they, that's the generations to come, also be in us, us being both Father and Jesus, so that the world may believe that you, Father, have sent me, Jesus. Now, when I read it that way, it makes a bit more sense because there's too many pronouns and I get lost in who's talking about who. See, Jesus' prayer, that's all that he said in the first 19 verses of chapter 17, and now what he's come to is not for the disciples alone. It's not for the disciples alone. Jesus' prayer is also for the generations of believers to come. Those generations of believers to come were the ones who will believe in him through the disciples' message. The generations of believers to come is you, is me, is us, is the church of God. We are the generation to come. And his prayer for all this generation of believers that follow, if you're reading it properly there, is that they would be one. Now, what does one look like? Well, one, I believe, well, Jesus actually says it here, is just as the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father. That's one. That's a being of unity. That's what he's talking about there. Oneness is unity. And he's saying, we want the generations to come, along with the Father and me and the disciples and all those to come to be in unity, to be one. And he prays that the generations of believers to come will also be united with the Father and the Son. Why? Why does Jesus want all the generations of believers to come to be united? Well, he says it in that last verse there. Have a look. So that the world may see and believe that the Father has sent the Son. This is our proclamation, isn't it? This is the good news. This is the gospel that they would proclaim the Son. That we would tell the world that the Father, our Heavenly Father, has sent His Son into the world. These verses of Jesus' prayer 
are focused on the generations to come, that they might be one, as he and the Father are one. And that the generations of believers that are going to respond to the disciples' good news message will also speak out that same good news message that the Father sent the Son into the world to save. And that's our message that we take. And that's what we want to release to the generations to come. Just like it was released to us and we've responded, we want to release that message to those who follow, to our children, to our grandchildren, to our great-grandchildren. And I believe just as Jesus spoke of the generations to come, so we, that, that being you, me, and the, and the church in whole, we have an obligation to speak to the generations that will follow us today. Just like Hastings Deering did. He said, unless we supplement the growth with morals and spiritual necessity, they will be lost. We need to give them clear, defined direction in how to move forward. We have a responsibility to those who come after us. Every one of us here has a responsibility to those who come after us. Now, this was not a new principle for the disciples, okay? It was no new principle. Passing on a message to those who follow was actually in their Torah. Now, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's called the Torah. And passing on that message was very much a part of their life. In fact, every Jew knew that they had a role to play in passing it on to the next generation. And I want to read those verses to you now. Follow me with this. Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 9. These are the commands, the decrees, and the lords, and the, the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. Who do you think speaking? Moses. That's right. So Moses is saying these words. These are the commands, the decrees and the laws. The Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. So they're on the edge looking into Canaan. And he says, I've got some direction for you. Listen to this. He says, so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all these decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. So he's saying, this is what I want you to pass on. This is the truth that you need to give to the generations that follow you. He says this, and this is called the Shema in, uh, in Jewish terms. Here are Israel, and you will probably have heard of this, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So he's talking about the generations before you that have got you to this very place on the edge of the Jordan. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Where have we heard that before? Jesus, first greatest commandment, isn't it? That's right. It's the Shema. These commandments that I give you today are to be in your hearts. Now, that's the place where they should be. Not in our heads, 
It's not that we can just spit them out and we know them by rote, like we know two times two is four. These are to be on our heart, written across that which is all that we are. And he goes on to say, impress them on your children. Because they're written on your heart, you've got to get it off your heart and into their hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You see, every Israelite knew that they had a responsibility to pass on what God had told them to the generations that follow. It was their responsibility and it was also their privilege. Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2 says this. These are the commands, the decrees and the laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in a land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. Have a look here in the heavy words. So that you, your children and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. You see, Moses wants the generations to pass on God's word to the generations that follow. And then what's the outcome of passing this on? It's in those heavy words in the second verse. The generations that will follow will enjoy long life. You see, you keep God's words at the forefront of your thinking, written across your heart, And that will be that which guides you into engaging in life. That will be the directive, the boundaries that allow you to move forward in relationship with him as I do life on earth. I will enjoy long life. Now, that doesn't mean an easy life. It doesn't always mean an easy life. But it's very much, I think, like DJ said, God oversees and walks with us in it. We will enjoy long life. Can you see how Moses wants the generations to pass on God's word to the generations that follow? It seems to be just natural for them. And the outcome of passing it on is to enjoy long life. The blessings of God are not just for the the now generation or the, the generation now. The blessings of God that you are receiving in your life is not just for you right now. And this is what Hastings Steering was saying. We have a people group, these, these children that are born, the 600 born today, we need to make sure that they're equipped for the future so that they can, they can enjoy long life, but they have the opportunity to share that with others who follow them. And this is the whole concept of what Moses is putting towards the people here. You see, the blessings of God is also for our children and for our children's children and our children's children's children. In fact, walk into little treasures just there with all those little tackers this big, it's for their grandchildren. Now, that's pretty hard to understand, isn't it? Especially if you're a parent and I'm talking about your great-grandchildren. But that's what it's for. That's how far along we're going in this. That's why we do what we do today. So how do we pass it on? He says it here. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you rise up. 
Now, that, that word impress is to leave a mark. You know, when you push hard enough, you leave a mark on your, on your, on your skin. It means to, to prick or to pierce. Um, it means to get it in, like a needle does. It gets it in. It penetrates. And that's what he's saying. These words of God's need to penetrate our children's lives as they have penetrated ours. So you need to be talking about them. Now, one thing to remember here is that these people didn't have it all written down like we do. They didn't have their own little Torah <laughs> walking around, pull out the scroll. They didn't have that. That was one-off. Later it got written down, and it wasn't what till the 16th century did we have printing presses. So and that was AD. <laughs> the only way you could communicate back then was to talk about it. Talk about it. For them, it all came through the word of mouth. The next generation can only receive what he's passed on to them by the generation before them. That's why it's so important that we do this. Because they're not going to get it unless you talk about it and share it with them. So you talk about it, what you know, you talk about what God wants when you're sitting around. So when mum or dad or dad's out, I know, working in the fields, he talks about it with the kids. When mum's sitting around cooking or when they're as a family around the table eating, they talk about it. He says, talk about God's desires when you're walking along the road. So when you're together in this together time, you chat with your children about God and about these laws, about how great God is. You talk, um, you talk about God's directives when you're going to bed. Now, sleeping back in this century was a little bit different. You all slept pretty much on the same mat, in the same room, on the, on the same floor. So as you're falling to sleep and you're blowing out the candle, you're talking about God's ways with your children. Chat about the things of God everywhere, all the time. When you get up in the morning, he says, talk to the children about your God. You see, there's this constant God permeates all our conversation. And that's what we should be doing with our children, permeating them. where it just is a part of their life. The only way the next generation really can receive what God wants is for this generation to pass on this truth. It's a huge responsibility, but it's also a great privilege. If the next generation is not hearing about God, then it falls back on the generation before them. And I don't want to be held accountable as one that didn't pass this on to the generation that comes after me. Because what God has done for me is immense. In fact, it's so important for the next generation to receive the message of God that in verses 8 and 9, it speaks about how it was to break free from the heart. That's what he talked about in verse 6, wasn't it? And become visually displayed throughout life. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames, on the houses of your gates. I love it. Biblical graffiti right there. Write them on the door frames. Put them across your gates. You know, the sad thing, <laughs> this practice descended into legalism. This is what we will do as humans. We will turn it into legalism. Uh, 
They literally did it. In fact, you might have read this verse. This is Jesus speaking about the Pharisees. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries. You know what a phylactery is? It's a little box they used to tie on their head here and they used to write the Shema on this little tiny piece of paper, put it in the box, tie it on the head and it was called a phylactery. They literally did what, G- what Moses told them to do. Now, how good's that? I think that's a great illustration of humanity. So much easier just to put it in a box without talking about it. I'll just carry it around. Well, Jesus gets stuck into them. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. That's the big call, isn't it? It was never intended for that. Your hands do the work. So he says, let God's word guide you. Your thinking comes from your head. Let God's word lead your thoughts. Write them in the door frames of your house. It symbolises the family. It's got to get out there to the family and get it on your gates. That's, that's to the community. Get it out there into the community. Just get it out. That's what Moses is saying. Why? Why is this so important that the generations that follow need to know this? Because of these verses here. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give you a land. Now listen to this. This is what they get as the gift here. A land with large flourishing cities. You did not build. I like that idea. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Hey, I'm into that. That's great. Wells you didn't dig. I love that. I did gardening again on the other day. Uh Wells I didn't have to dig. And vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant. (laughs) Olives and wine? Come on. How good's that? Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. This is why you've got to be talking about it all the time. Because when we are well off, we become complacent. And God gets put to the side. He gets left on the shelf. We can wear him as a box on our head. And that's about as much as we do. And we put it back on the shelf when we don't need it. And we stop thinking, talking, listening to God. That's humanity. That's what we will do every time. We fall back to that. Why is it so important to have the generations that follow to know all this? Because when the good times come and God's promises that they will, that's his promise, they will come, then there is always the risk that you will forget him. He says, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the law. It's so easy. It's so easy. It seems that people who live in the blessings of God can very easily take it for granted after a while. And there is the capacity for every one of us to stop telling the generations that follow how we got it all in the first place. Isn't that sad? Because we're so caught up in maintaining, I think, the good things. Yeah, we got the olive grove and the, and the vineyard for free, but someone's got to look after it. So I'm so caught up in now looking after the vineyard and the olive grove that I got for free, I don't talk about God anymore. I'm busy. You see what happens? Yes, the house I got for free and I moved into and the pantry was full, 
I'm busy cooking the food that was in the pantry. I don't, I don't have time to talk to my kids anymore. You see what he's saying? Don't lose that. And I think as a first world country, we very quickly can fall into this because we do have so much. It seems that we can be by nature forgetful people. And I say this all the time, I've got a great forgettery. That is one of my, I don't think it's a gift. I think it's sin. But I forget things so quickly. It amazes me. I love, I said to Bella yesterday, I'm reading this book for the third time and you know what? I can't remember how it ends. (laughs) Honestly, as I read the next page, it's so exciting. (laughs) Three times you'd think I'd remember. Bella just crosses her eyes and goes, help. But it is a good thing, I think, when you're reading a book or watching a DVD, but you forget. Anyway, when the good times roll, then we tend to roll away from the Lord and get caught up in the good times, don't we? Yeah, that's what happens. Particularly the generations that follow. It's so much easier for them to forget because they've not experienced the Lord as you have. So we have a responsibility to make sure that those who follow, those who are blessed because we are blessed, know who the blessing comes through, which is our Heavenly Father. Having understood this message for ourselves, we have the responsibility for the generations that come after us. And that's why we're taking up a generation's offering next week. Okay? This is not just a sheet of paper that Nathan... And I want to get out there because we need more money. This is about our future. This is about the little ones that are coming up that we can actually hear right now below this floor, having a lot of fun. It's a special offering for the future generations. You see, your tithe, your regular weekly offering that we we collected here in this bag... um, That just keeps LifeGate moving forward. It doesn't bring about these things. You know, it pays for the electricity and the water and the council rates and the insurances and the air conditioning, which I'm so glad's on this morning because I was so hot. It's just the general maintenance. Yes, it does touch our mission work. It touches our local community work. And I'm sorry to say, but a large chunk of your weekly offering pays wages, which I think really is bad but I'm one of the receivers of it, so I'm caught in this tension. But the generations offering is for creating resources and facilities for the generations to come. That's why this is so important to us. It's for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. It is for our future. The Word of God is not going to stop being preached If you give to this, let me tell you that Nathan and I are going to make sure that the word of God goes forward. But the future of the facilities needs an offering like this to move it forward into what God desires to do with it. Because you see, our normal offering doesn't keep the facility. It pays for general maintenance, but doesn't take us forward. You might be thinking that these mentioned, these things mentioned on the list are only material assets. And when I look at it, that's exactly all they are, material assets. 
But that is no different to the building and everything that we have before us now. In fact, all the material blessings that we have around us, the chairs that you sit on, the air conditioning we're sitting under, the projector that's displaying on our screen, these are all just instruments, aren't they? They're just apparatuses. They're just tools. But they're used for the sake of the gospel. That's why they're important. It's what we use the tools for. They're tools used for furthering the message of God. But let you tell, I want to tell you something. As a tradesman, I'm an electrician by trade, before I got into ministry um, as a pastor, it's much easier to work with a sharp tool than a blunt one. Believe me as a tradesman. If you've got a chisel and it's blunt, you are banging the way a lot longer than you need to. Sharp tools are what tradesmen need to produce what's effective and efficient. Give me the right tool and I'll get the work done more efficiently and I'll produce what's needed more effectively. In fact, let me give you a very good illustration. I don't want you to do it right now because that would mean getting up. But if you walk to the little treasures room and you have a look at those kids sitting in front of that big TV on that wall, it is absolutely amazing. Now, these kids will sit in front of a TV at home. They'll watch their counting and their colours and their, and their numbers and they'll watch Big Bird. I, I don't know what kids watch nowadays. Um, they'll watch all that. But you know what? Now that they get into church, they actually go, wow, we can watch God's stuff on the big screen and engage in technology that is just like their home. You have a TV? God uses a TV. How cool is that? And it engages them at the level of where they're at today so we can move them forward. And that's why we have to put out this generation offering sheep so you can see how we as a church are going to touch the future generations. The money has to come from somewhere. And you're, you're the somewhere. That's what God's saying to us as God provides and leads us in our giving. So let me just return to the words of Jesus. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for the generations to come who will believe in me through the disciples' message, that all of them, that's the generations to come, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they, the generations to come, also be in us so that the world may believe that you Father, have sent me, Jesus. That's the message that we want to get out. The tool to do the message and deliver the message is this. And that's why we are going to take up an offering next week. I don't apologise for it. You can deliver it online this week if you like. Go in, log in, or you can put it in envelopes next week. I don't apologise for it because I see it as the sharpened tool to bring about what God wants. It's true that the things on this sheet are not the message, but the things on this sheet are sharp tools that can be used to assist and aid in the delivery of that message. And that's why we're going to be taking it up. So I pray that you're praying about it. I pray that you're praying about it. We're asking for over and above, over and above your weekly offering so that we can do over and above what we weekly do. And that's why you need to be praying about it because God will lay on your heart what he desires for you to do. And on my heart, I'm in this just as much as you are.
I believe that obtaining all these things will be like pulling down barriers that could stifle both the delivery and the reception of God's message.